top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already down. know. You it's more already know. I think that's how it always goes. Like 45 minutes, and we were at like Chelsea. What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Kessler. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Hey, it's Top Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Welcome back to Top Bins. I am Matt. I'm joined as always by my lovely co-host Dom. Dom, how are you doing today? Good, man. I'm I'm very good now. My dinner came out well. You know, I'm I'm happy. I'm a happy man. It's always a good day when your dinner comes out well. When you try oh, yeah. something maybe new or a little uh next level, like what you cook tonight. It's uh, always a good day. I'm, i feel like LeBron right now with the with the Taco Tuesday. It is Taco Tuesday, that's for sure. <laughs> we're recording September 7th on a Tuesday because, you know, you know what we said last time. We're doing this every week. We're Top doing bins going up. <laughs> on, on a Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> um, it is International Break Edition, which really doesn't mean anything. I uh, don't think we're going to be doing anything special because of that. Uh, just mostly means that, you know, we've been watching some World Cup qualifiers and uh, we'll be previewing the games ahead of this weekend. Let's jump right into it, though, this international break, which has produced at least some big storylines. The biggest, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo breaking the international men's goal-scoring record. Now sits at 111. He did it in probably the most Ronaldo fashion you could ask for. Two very towering headers in the last eight minutes of the game to win it for Portugal. He has a habit of putting whatever team he's on uh, onto his back and propelling them to dramatic and late victories. Yeah. Um, what did what did you think of his he, performance and now him being recognized by his own merit as a, as the best international men's well, scorer of all time? I mean, like you said, like he he's one of those players who plays for a country where he's expected to carry the team, and he's done it for so long. And, and it's kind of ironic that you know they use that thing for Me they use that argument. They say Messi does that for Argentina all the time, but I think. Overall, Argentina surrounds Messi with more talent than Ronaldo. And Ronaldo, he's just done it at such a high level for so long. He did it in this, like like you said, typical fashion. Just headers, last-minute header, gets the win, takes the shirt off, celebrates. You know, it, you couldn't write it up any better. Um, I think he deserves it 110%. Um, and, and I'm happy for him. I'm real happy for him. What I What I – want to just mention before like i don't know if you're gonna move on or if you're gonna keep going off on this but what's hilarious is not only has ronaldo played so long for portugal but so has pepe and you yeah. got him in the old school the old school like 0.5 buzz cut 
still still chugging along in the back playing not quite level. a shaved head not quite a crew cut yeah for, for Pepe, yeah <laughs> He, uh, yeah, you're, you're totally right in giving him a shout out because I think he's gone under the radar a bit because obviously moved away from some of the more main leagues across Europe, playing in Portugal, of course, now. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's still continued at the international stage, especially to be a, a very, very important piece for Portugal and, uh, deserves a lot of credit because when you talk about players playing at the advanced age, Pepe's one of them and he's still yeah. playing at an incredibly mm-hmm. high level. I, you know, Obviously, like you can't help but talk about Messi when you talk about Ronaldo because the last 15 years have been dominated by the two of them. Pretty much. Uh, but both both of them, you know, just incredible goal scorers for their country and whatever club they're playing for. Um, it's hard to say who's had the more or less talent over the years. Ronaldo, you know, starts his international career with essentially a golden generation of Portuguese players, uh, whereas Messi has always had strong talent around him. Um you know, pretty consistently, whereas Ronaldo has had to carry, I think, some some pretty poor Portugal teams throughout. But it's hard to say. You know, it, it's it's always kind of a crapshoot with with international play because sometimes it's just some luck. You know, Euro I'm, Euro twenty sixteen is just a little bit of luck from Portugal, a little bit of running up results. He 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 brought Portugal to that final, and then I mean, he didn't score in the final. He's injured. But, he, yeah, injured. he he got hurt. So. uh you know, Portugal kind of, like you said, gets a little luck, but also, you know, kind of shows, hey, maybe we don't always have to rely on him. But, you know, Ronaldo basically got them there, scoring all those goals. I mean, it's it's just a – he's a freak of nature, man. He's a freak of nature. I was actually – I had a conversation with a couple people about what makes – like like you said, you can't uh, not talk about Messi without Ronaldo. Like what makes them different and – but what also makes both of them great and why it's so hard to compare the two. Like Ronaldo worked for it, man. He He's done everything to keep his body in tip-top shape and like his technique and everything. He just works on perfecting it to the point where like you expect him to be this great. You know what I mean? And Messi doesn't have the, the physical aspects as much, but – he he just has something about him that's just special. Like he's like there, he's like an alien. That's that's the best way for me to say it. I, I think uh, a name that you also brought up at the beginning of the show is very similar to me, at least has been for a while um, to Ronaldo. And that's LeBron. I think both of them are, are pretty easy comparisons simply because yeah. two players that really like the top of their game for you know my entire life practically. Um, and part of it is their their physical gift, but the fact that they have put in the time, effort, and money to sustain that physicality, mm-hmm. which makes them so much better than their peers. You know, the fact that they're both playing unprecedentedly into late ages now uh, and still performing at such a high level is amazing. And Messi, well, yeah, I think what makes Messi great is a lot of things, but you know, a lot of it is just raw natural ability and spatial awareness and excellent technique and dribbling. Excellent isn't really even a fair word to describe Messi. You know, it's, <laughs> it's somewhere much above uh, excellent, but yeah. yeah, I mean, two fantastic players, of course. It's, it's, I didn't it's, have this on the script, but we can, we can talk a little bit about Argentina, Brazil and what a, uh, a terrible showing that was uh game. Gets I don't even know how that ended up. So game gets postponed uh, five minutes in because apparently the Argentinian squadron coming from the Premier League, uh, the four players coming from there 
did not actually have legal clearance to be in Argentina. Uh, the, the government said that they lied about living and playing in England for the last two weeks, even though they clearly did. So they sent out uh, agents to remove them from the field in the middle uh. of the game. Uh, and when asked, you know, why didn't they didn't just approach them in the locker room and have this discussion, they said the locker room was closed. So instead of just waiting outside of the dressing room for them to walk out, they let the game start. Uh, so that game postponed and uh, it's been quite the headache ever since, but uh, two very different, different stories, I guess. That's, what do you talk about? Something always very interesting, I think is happening in uh, South America. I think there's always, there's always good, <laughs> good, good bits there. Um, the world, the world cup holders, France draw to Ukraine. Of course they beat Finland today to nothing, a little bit more of a, uh, your typical showing, but this has been, you know, we've seen this from France in the past. You don't, you don't want to get too lazy with all the comparisons to past French teams that have imploded and had issues because every generation is different. But are we worried at all, you know, going into what is a, a World Cup year coming up? Are we worried at all about France's, the, the drama from the exit of the Euro, which seems to have been forgotten very quickly because of everything that happened in, in the months in between. But, you know, Mbappe's parents getting in fights with Rabio's parents and division within the <laughs> locker room. Apparently no one likes Griezmann, no one likes Mbappe. A few players leaving straight for the game to vacation. Like, are we worried at all? You know, the results, again, they beat Finland today, but they beat Finland at home, uh, which they should, 2 nothing. But we worried that you know we've, they've had some pretty crappy results that they haven't really had the strong performances. Is that a concern at all? It's it's funny that you you said that you want to steer away from talking about you know typical French teams and and the qualms that they deal with, but everything you just said is exactly what the French team deals with on like a yearly basis. You know, there's always players in the locker room that don't get along with somebody else. There's always these big egos in the locker room where it, it there causes issues. Now, Rapio's issue wasn't even him. It was his mom treating him like a superstar, but he's an overpaid Serie A bench rider for Juventus. Um, oh, <laughs> I saw your reaction. Wow. Um, his harsh words. <clears throat> sweet Rabio. Hey, you see the jersey behind me. You, you know, you know where I stand. Um, but anyway, uh, this, you're talking about times when like Nicholas and Nelka played for friend for France and the same stuff you're hearing the same stuff, you know, there's problems in the locker room, players don't get along and eventually it's going to implode. I don't know when, is it time to worry? I don't know. It depends. We have to, you have to see, I want to see a couple more games from them, but, uh, they beat Finland. Uh, what was the score of the Ukraine? It drew 1-1, right? Martial scored. Yeah, drew 1-1 with Ukraine. And it, it really wasn't even one of those where Ukraine's kind of clinging on for life and they get a just kind of a, a cheeky result. It, and again, this has been a theme with France where even in, in the World Cup, they, they didn't look hugely impressive coming out of the group stage. Uh, and Deschamps has had this kind of tactic of playing real kind of ugly at times with what ifs. A French team absolutely stacked with, you know, technically proficient players and obviously some of the best attackers the world has to offer. It's been really focused a lot on counterattacking and things like that, which to you know, against some teams you, you you can break them open that way. But I do have be, I do have some concerns. To be fair, Conte didn't play. Yeah. 
We all know the traditional Big Four sports and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons. But what if I told you the fastest growing sport on two feet doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey? Come join me, Dom Ponteri, and Harrison Kremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Sure, but Conte at this stage in his career, and you can't continue to count on him, you know, in every single cycle to to be fit. And again, with the talent that France has, that's not an excuse, you know. To, to I me, I just don't know who this Chouameni guy is. Right. So, I I just think France is, you know, it, it's it's a warning sign to me that maybe some things need to be straightened out. That maybe there's cracks here, and it's something to keep in mind as as we go through the rest of this qualifying cycle. As you look towards, I mean, the World Cup is in a little over a year. You know, it's it's easy oh, to forget shit. that because right. we just had the Euros, but you know, since right. they were delayed. But the World Cup's in the winter next year. That's rapidly approaching. I, I, I do I do wonder a little bit if maybe this team isn't in the right mental state, but a lot can change and talent can also win out uh, in the very end. But, you know, we saw the way they exited Euros very unimpressively. So uh, do you think that some of this was because of Deschamps bringing Benzema back into the team? I, I don't think so. I don't know that the current players care all that much about why Benzema wasn't around the team anymore. Um, obviously, I don't think Benzema is a person to be particularly celebrated. There's two Real Madrid or one ex-Real Madrid player and one current Real Madrid player that I don't really care for their off-the-field uh, actions because they're, I think, both despicable, actually. Um, There's an Olympiacos player that doesn't like Benzema very much either. I kind of hate that Benzema has gotten this clout persona especially on football twitter uh because frankly he's a garbage human being and i think he's he's it's, done it's some pretty the videos it's the videos with i get it and, trip, but man. he's just oh <laughs> he's done some really terrible things to other people uh, that yeah. should just be waved off yeah. um and I've always found it really funny when announcers try and work around that story when they're like, when they try and mention that Benzema hasn't been with the national team in X amount of years. And they're like, yeah, I've been an outcast. It's like, why, why was Benzema an outcast? Was, <laughs> why, what was his reason? Was there any, you know, court ruling maybe on why maybe he was extorting an ex teammate uh, <laughs> over a sex video? I don't know. Hey, um, hey. I'm just saying that the French problems, I think, run pretty deep. Let's move on from the French, please. We move. We move. We move to another beautiful Mediterranean uh, country, Italia, the the holders of the, of the European trophy at the moment. Now on the longest unbeaten run in international home play. No, no draw against the Swiss. You know, we were kind of hoping to see maybe a little bit more from uh, – from this game it was it was a rematch of a very recent euro game of course you're kind of hoping to see some fireworks see some goals never really uh never really happened of course and you got a, a rare event Georgina missing another penalty not something you see from him very often did you, did you see the quote he he said that you know a lot of keepers are starting to get on to you know his tactic and everything so you know they're thinking more about what he's doing and that's making him in turn think about taking his shots and what he's doing and I think it's maybe time for Italy to move on to a new PK. Maybe. I don't know who you'd maybe Immobile, but like that's Insigne. 
Insigne, but Insigne isn't always locked into the the starting lineup. I think he's someone that can be rotated out. Uh, Chiro seems like someone much more like often definitively in the starting lineup. I don't I don't know if it is. I mean, I know you don't like hearing this, but Benucci as well seems to always step up in the in the big penalties and takes yeah. that pretty well. He takes his penalties well. Doesn't take his free kicks well. No, no <laughs> you saw not. you saw that free yeah, kick. I think the International Space Station saw that oh, one. Actually. Oh my lord! You know it's it's interesting though, just because Italy, this was kind of their identity as well in the Euros. I think obviously they had some you know exciting moments. They had some young talent like Chiesa, of course. I think everyone kind of latched onto, but that is that narrative has kind of overshadowed the fact that. They weren't like absolutely dominating teams in the Euros. They were a very defensive team and they focused a lot on counterattacking. They didn't create a whole ton of opportunities. They depended a lot on Chiesa to just win 1v1s and create space for himself and others. Uh, this is a team that hasn't scored very much as of late. You know, that's that well has kind of uh, dried up. Obviously, defensively, as, as good as it gets across Europe, but. Again, another team you know, for different reasons. I would just be maybe a little worried about for the World Cup next year if they don't start finding you know real attacking options because they just yeah. have not been scoring goals uh, at the rate that they should. When you consider the attacking talent they have, it's they're certainly yeah. not lacking. I mean, the caveat to the three 0 win against Switzerland is that Locatelli came in and scored two goals. Right, Locatelli played. He scored a banger of a goal and another one. And this is somebody that you don't normally find goals from. And for most of the, re- like for mo- the rest of the game, Italy was very stagnant. You know what I mean? The Swiss aren't a bad team. You know what I mean? You can't really overlook them and they, and they lock down defensively and they play well. And, you know, if it wasn't for Locatelli doing that stuff, Italy's entire Euro could have been completely different. You know, that three nil win kind of gave them that extra push to, and confidence boost, but no, you're right. They do have a lot of attacking talent, but they have a lot of attacking talent in my opinion with some bad habits. Like, you, you know, you look at Berardi, he kind of plays like, like a C like the tech best player at a mid table club. Yes. Yeah. A C, a C tech Italian iron Robin always cuts in on the left, always tries to curl it is very is is very selfish in my opinion even though he did get one like crucial assist in the euros but it surprised the crap out of me um Berardi you know, has always been the Italian Wilfred Zaha to me and that I think he's I like he looks great because he plays at a, a team that's kind of lost for attacking options so anytime you have someone who's good at dribbling who's a good playmaker who can score you know get a get a good brace against a team um, they kind of stick out to everyone, but I do think there's also a reason that Berardi has been kind of lost amongst the shuffle and hasn't made it to one of the the bigger Italian clubs. I think part of it is because he genuinely does love Sassuolo. I, I, I'm certainly willing to believe part of that, but I'm also willing to believe that if Juventus wanted to to go calling for him, they would have. If if uh, you know, I mean, I need Milan, he was always rumored with Milan, but apparently he's an Inter fan. I'm just so saying, I, I think he, there's, there's, turn them down for there, sure. there, like there's a talent reason there. And I think there's a, an opportunity cost in the same that there's with Zaha and that he means a lot more to Sassuolo. Like Zaha means a lot much more to Crystal Palace. And yeah. therefore it's going to be a, a tough sell for everyone. But 
I do think Italy, you know, again, it, it's impressive, obviously, when you consider the the record that they've achieved and, you know, to, to go unbeaten for that length of time. Uh, I read that Moise Keen actually wasn't born the last time that they lost at home. So uh, <laughs> that's impressive. And I mean, this is, you, you know, we mentioned you mentioned the next striker too, because who knows how long Immobile is going to keep. He was very questionable the second half of the Euros. They need that next striker to step up, and and they have been bringing Keane into the into the uh, trainings, and and he's starting to you know get acclimated with everybody. There's a there's a couple you know young young Italian talents that are coming through. Uh, Tonali had three assists at the U what was it the U23 qualifiers. He he had a couple of nice little curly curler, a uh, couple crosses in uh, off of set pieces. Yeah. So you know you've got you've got some you've got some guys coming in through the midfield that can set up uh, some guys. You've got a, you've got Chiesa, you've got Keen. Keen obviously know. too just uh, recently moved to Juventus, mm-hmm. uh, so that could that could be big for his future. Obviously, you know mm-hmm. he had some success there to start out. Moves mm-hmm. away, gets kind of lost between Everton and PSG a little bit. The biggest question for me in Italy is is how are they going to grow as a defensive unit once Chiellini and Bonucci decide to call it quits? You have Bastoni coming up, but who else is there, really? You can't count on Cherby, and, and it looks like Romagnoli is moving past his prime. Uh, you have Davide Calabria coming up on the right. Don't really know who's going to be on the left other than Spinazzola if if he ever can regain that form. If Toloi as well, I think has been he's been really good. Uh, he can play in the center too, so yeah. you know is utility player. So yeah, I, I do think Italy has some question marks going forward. Um, you know, and again, same same for me with France in that we kind of forget that the the World Cup is coming up as quick as it is, and you know that's why these qualifiers are important because you're going to start seeing. You know, teams that really need to get pushing. And, you know, this is not a great result for them within their group either because uh, it kind of takes some of the control out of their hands. And it's easy to forget because it was so long ago and so much has happened in between. But Italy wasn't at the last World Cup, which is uh, a, a huge rarity for, for them and, and for the World Cup to not have one of its, you know, historic, you know, top nations at it. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not the best result in, in the sense that, Switzerland now kind of has destiny in their hands uh, as long as they don't drop points can can go through top of the group and Italy's in a very difficult position again but let's move on to uh to previewing the weekend uh, clubs are back only for a few weeks and we have another beautiful international break to look Yay. forward to in early October I uh, love love how the start of the season constantly gets interrupted but at least this time we also have Champions League to look forward to which we'll we'll talk about next week but this week we got some some pretty nice matchups, especially in Italy. But we're going to start in England. We have Leicester City versus Manchester City. Definitely with the probably the marquee game of the weekend. You have two teams that uh, you know have similar types of ambitions, at least domestically. Leicester wants to obviously be challenging for the league. Manchester City expects to be winning the league. How do we feel about this matchup? It's it's in Leicester. Manchester City have looked impressive since their opening game, but. You know, it's against a ten-man Arsenal and against Norwich. How much you know? Can you really? It's their first test of that? the season, right? Outside um, of Spurs, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's uh, what's Leicester's form right now? So Leicester ha- have done pretty well uh, so far this season. They uh, had some some draws so far, but overall mm-hmm. in a pretty good spot. 
I wouldn't say they've played particularly amazing. So Yonchu has, has obviously had a tough time of it. They imploded against West Ham when they get a red card, but hard to be too critical for, for a team you know, when they go down to 10 men for losing. Um, didn't really care for the way that they lost, but again, West Ham seemed to really just be you know, really going at it. So they haven't had uh, you know, a terrible start, but you know, they, they've only lost a game so far, won their other two. I think they've been pretty good. Uh Shu though had another really difficult night tonight in international play, got a red card as well uh for, for double yellow. So Fun. he is a, uh, a challenging start to the season. It's a it's a it's a midfield battle in this game. You know, whoever comes out in, in this game, you know, winning the midfield possession and, and, and really controlling play is going to come out, I think, victorious. Um, you know, you've got Belgians on both sides, could be uh, you know passing of the torch you know you hey yuri yuri's next up or, I think yuri Tillemans and Kevin you can, are very different players dom can you consider yuri still next up yes because he's still incredibly young just because yuri Tillemans yeah. has been playing since he was 16 yeah. professionally for intellect <laughs> does not mean that he's not a uh, still still able to take more leaps in his game yeah um i don't know maybe maybe it's time for jamie already to have a, himself a party too so yeah. He's he's had he's had some success so far this season. He scored a few goals, of course. Um, yeah, Jamie's he's he's slowed down a little bit. He's not quite the speedster he used to be. Uh, focusing a lot more on position and uh, similar to Messi in that kind of the the runs are inconsistent and uh, some of the work rate has dropped off a bit. But Leicester, you know, I, I think are a really really challenging team to go away to play against. But Manchester City. Ferran Torres has looked fantastic. He slotted into this, you know, number nine role very, very well for City. I think if it's I say, uh, uh, oh, sorry, go on. If a team is going to go without a really set striker like Manchester City are, their front three with Sterling, Torres, and Jesus, or if they bring on Mares, is is really, really effective uh, because they're so versatile. Because all of those guys also. Uh, great on both feet. You also have Jack Grealish making like overlaps a lot. This is a team that I think can hurt you in a lot of different ways. And I know a lot has been made about the fact that they don't have that really established number nine. But when you can create the amount of chances that they do, I don't think it matters if someone's getting, you know, who's scoring the goal because it's usually a tap in, you know, from well, six yards out. Are they, are they, is Pep kind of having them run like kind of like a false nine then? If, yeah. if they don't have a set striker, then I would assume that whoever he plays there is dropping in a little bit. Sometimes we all just need to wind down after a long day of enjoying our favorite sports teams go to work. And with the rise of streaming platforms, new TV shows and movies are popping up every single week, and it might be overwhelming not knowing exactly what to watch. Well, that's where streamer season comes in. The exclusive streaming platform discussion podcast for tv and movies on the underground sports philadelphia podcast network join me kb and a plethora of our hosts right here at usp breaking down all the new tv and movies that you guys should be watching across all the various streaming platforms that are available to the masses catch us on streamer season wherever you get your podcasts Yeah, of course. That, that's kind of the way Manchester City has operated is yeah. constantly having that number nine player. They, you know, people talk so much about Aguero, and obviously he was great, uh, but didn't play 
tons and tons under Pep Guardiola. He was not a, a mainstay within the team because he was struggling with injury quite a bit. Um, outside of their uh, Centurion season, he really wasn't a huge, huge mainstay within the team. So they, they've they never really had this like prototypical nine in, in Pep's time there. And that's usually not even a huge component of, of Pep's system. You know, outside of his stint with Bayern, he never really had a number nine that he depended on or that he used as a typical number nine. Um, so, yeah, I, I think people overrate that in the sense that they needed to go out and get a striker very clearly. Um, could it come back to hurt them? Sure, because I, I do think um, while they won the league last year, looked good doing it, they didn't look as good as they had. And I think there were some some clear weaknesses still uh, on that front. But I think also <laughs> when you consider the talent that they have, uh, it, it's hard to bet against them on any given day. Uh, I'll say 2-1 City. Yeah, that's your official prediction, 2-1 yeah. City. All right. I wasn't going to ask for a prediction, but I appreciate you throwing it out there. That's, that's very bold <laughs> yeah. of you. I appreciate it a lot. Um, no, we'll see if I'm right. We'll see if you're right. We'll see if you're right. Uh, this one's a, a little more fun. Uh, we have bottom of the battle of the bottom of the table here, Arsenal and Norwich. I, I saw this stat. This is from Orbino on Twitter. The, uh, the worst start in Premier League history of the four matches was Swindon Town with zero points and negative 12 goal difference. Arsenal and Norwich meet next week and both have zero points and negative nine goal difference. So a big win for either side. You can see this record broken. Dom, the burning question is, do we see this record broken at all? He's doing, you're doing a dramatic lean-in with the uh, Arsenal badge, which apparently, I, as I understand it, you're not a fan of. Arsenal Arsenal don't uh, break the, help break that record, and, and but they are going to beat Norwich. It's going to be an ugly game. There's going to be a red card. Um, you can put money on that. <laughs> you can put money on a red card in the game. All right, I think you get some good odds on that. Uh, I I do think I do think Arsenal. This is kind of the good. This is the best kind of get right game for them. What worries me a ton is Norwich are a team that are fine with attacking, that are fine going forward, and Arsenal, like we talked about last time seem to always love to concede on the, on the first chance that they have to deal with in a game. And my worry for them would be Norwich have the ability to do that. They have the talent to do that. And that would. The key to Arsenal succeeding is being able to kind of hold Buendia, you know, at bay. Well, Buendia is not at Norwich. I thought he was still. Where's Aston Villa? See, he shows how much I. Pay attention to the prem. Um, never mind then. Uh, my point is invalid. Now my credibility is down. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think Norwich has obviously had a tough start to the season. Like they have a lot, it seems, when they come up to the Premier League. When you have Liverpool and City in your first two fixtures, that's always asking a huge amount from them. Norwich have a, have a clear identity in, in what they want to do. And I, I think a lot of that is being willing to to take your five or four nil losses, you know, as they come. Um, but then to also compete against the big boys and Arsenal have shown in the past that they're, they're willing to, to lose to, to teams that are, are bottom of the table. I can remember uh, a few years ago against Watford, they uh, nearly got embarrassed and that was when Watford got relegated and they looked pretty, pretty awful that season. Arsenal. I, I do think they're in a bit of a free fall. Of course, we talked about how Arteta is, you know, maybe he, looking down the the wrong side of the management cycle here, but I think Arsenal gets right with this game. I I do think they have more talent than Norwich at the end of the day. And it's, it's just hard for me to, to pick Norwich to, 
it doesn't really feel like an upset, of course, when you consider that they're playing as bad as they are. But I think you have to go with Arsenal at home and that they get things right here. Um, you know, the only thing is, how does Arsenal handle the pressure then? You know, they have all the pressure because they are a larger club. And, you know, they're not performing where they should be performing. Um, the fans are like being a I'm an AC Milan fan and I see how fans talk on Twitter about, you know, their team. Arsenal fans are worse. Like it, it's crazy. The pressure that they're putting on that team right now to, to perform, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's apparent. It's evident. Arteta is dealing with a whole lot of pressure coming down on him and Norwich don't have anything to lose. So, you know, like you said, Norwich isn't afraid to attack. They're going to feel comfortable in the game because they don't have that pressure on them. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal drop again, but uh, I think Arsenal come out with the win though. Yeah. I think if you see more of what you saw in the first, you know, 15 minutes against Chelsea, the first 15 minutes against city, um, you know, when they were going forward a little bit better, I, I, I think that's, that's where you kind of make your tea if you're Arsenal, but I just I don't see it happening at home for them. I, I would be really surprised if Norwich, you know, go to the Emirates and, and get a, a big result. Uh, and that could really be if you're talking about Arteta and pressure and losing his job, I think that'd be a, a really, really difficult one to come back from. And hey, before we move on, did did I send you the meme on Twitter? Uh you remember back in like FIFA fourteen or fifteen when you would pause the game? Yes. like in the middle of the game and it's the it's the end game like if you were going to rage quit the guy with his head in his hands is arteta <laughs> yeah, the, the delete club uh. <laughs> oh man it, and the and i think the tweet was like uh no wonder they had arteta <laughs> the guy there yeah, difficult look for him, difficult oh, look for Arsenal man. right now. We'll see. You know, we'll we'll check back in next week, see how this game goes. I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to see this game as well. Uh, even though I'm usually not looking forward to any United games. Uh Manchester United versus Newcastle United. Uh Cristiano Ronaldo is gonna be the big talking point uh, of this game and whether or not he starts, whether or not he comes on. It's hard to imagine us listening and, and reading about Newcastle and what a disaster their transfer window was. You know, Joe Willick being the only signing and that they feel they have a process when they very obviously don't and aren't signing players. And there's a disconnect between Steve Bruce and upper management. It just feels like a recipe for uh, a huge Ronaldo party in his first game back, you know, coming off the bench, you know, and scoring a goal or two and, uh, the good times feel like they're coming back and you, you have to listen to United fans for a few days talk about how the glory days are here and they're they're going to be winning the league again. Uh, it's hard to see it any other way. It, it really is because Newcastle have looked really, really awful uh, this season so far. Just have not looked. Yeah. I shouldn't say they've looked awful. I think that's actually maybe harsh, but I, I do think they've looked really lacking in composure. You know, they have the chance to win against Southampton, give away a penalty in the 95th minute and and have to settle for a draw. To get in the whole podcast hosted by Steve McAvoy and John Mavalia, be sure to follow us on Twitter at get in the whole pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content, keeping you up to date on the world of golf. 
releasing weekly a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You know, they can't quite keep West Ham under control, you know, on, on opening day. Like, I, I think this has just been a theme with Newcastle really for entire Steve Bruce's tenure and that they've just been able to to control games in any meaningful way. And if you're asking to do that against this Manchester United team, which is going to have, you know, again, either Ronaldo starting or coming off the bench, that's <laughs> that's going to be a big, big, big L, I think. Um, I think that Ronaldo comes in no earlier than the start of the second half, depending on the score. Um, he's definitely going to get at least 30 minutes. Um, and I would not be surprised if he scores in those 30 minutes. Like you said, Newcastle is not the best of teams. And that would be, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't write it any better. Uh, if if it does happen, not going to be some glorious goal though. It's going to be like a tap in. <laughs> Ronaldo's just going to be there, and it's just going to be like, hey, there it is. He is a just a narrative driven guy, and it just feels like the narrative is being set up very easily for him to uh, to rise above the defenders and tuck home a clean header as he's he's apt to do. Which Actually, last time he was at Old Trafford, that's how he scored when uh, Real Madrid came to town. I should have asked you when we were talking about Ronaldo earlier, but I saw on Twitter how many goals do you think he bags this year. In the league, I, I think it's under 20. Uh, I was talking with one of my friends who's a Manchester United fan, and he asked me the same question. I told him 18 in the league, which I think is, is doable That's for fair. him at this stage in his career. Maybe something like 25 or 26 across all competitions, which for anyone else is fantastic. For Ronaldo, it feels like you're almost doing him a disservice. But I just think at this stage of his career, he's still, you know, I, I do wonder how game management is going to work with him. We saw Pirlo do this a few times last year where he either took Ronaldo off early or rested him. Some of that may have had to do with him wanting to leave Juventus, maybe feeling he could have offered more, who knows? Um, so I do wonder how that's going to be worked out. If Solskjaer really has the ability to essentially pull rank over Ronaldo and, and kind of tell him yeah. you're going to sit, you know, we got to rotate guys in and out or you need to rest. We have a bigger game coming up, but yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets close to even that thirty in, in all cross all competition mark. But um, I do think he's going to be used maybe more sparingly than we expect. Mm -hmm. I think uh, this is for anybody at home listening that doesn't know how unbearable Manchester United fans are. Like, if you couldn't tell from how Matt and I talk about him, like the same question I asked Matt was a thread on Twitter, and. It was like, how many does he score in the league this year? There were Manchester United fans saying 30 goals in the league. You know, in after league. already missing after already missing a handful of games and maybe yeah. not even starting against Newcastle. You know, but, it's <laughs> listen, you know, they're allowed to get a, a he's gonna rowdy. score every game. Yeah, very unlikely. So <laughs> let's uh let's do the reverse Ronaldo, leave England behind for Italy and talk about because we have two, I think, really, really fantastic matchups here this weekend. And uh, it, it, it continues games. even into next next week as well. But you have Napoli Juventus. This has been a fantastic fixture over the last few years, full of drama, late VAR calls, uh, late Koulibaly own goals that decide <laughs> titles. Uh it's it's really been I, I think one of my favorite Serie A games to watch. Obviously, stakes are a little different now. The teams aren't quite in their pomp that they were when uh, some they had much more heated battles. But still, a fantastic game to watch. Still, two teams you know that are, are looking to obviously again 
finish in similar positions this season. So, Dom, tell me how you feel about uh, Napoli Juventus this week. I may have to travel out to Philly and watch this game at the cafe because it's going to be absolutely insane over there. Um, if you want to come, come along. Um, but Napoli Juventus, you know what side I'm on. Uh, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a very very entertaining game. That if, if if you don't watch the Prem or if you don't have access to it, is that a, is that going to be nationally broadcasted? Any Prem games or like the big ones like Ronaldo or anything, or is it all on Peacock this week? I would have to imagine that uh, they're they're looking to push Ronaldo and against Newcastle to NBC or something like that. I would have to if, imagine. If, if you don't have it or you can't find the games and, and you want to invest in Paramount Plus, please do because this game and the Milan-Lazio game will be totally worth it. You're, you'll get your money's worth just this weekend alone. Um, you know, you've got two big teams – uh, you know, big names on Lazio, big names on Juventus. A lot of a lot of jabbering on Twitter from both fan bases has gone on all week, and, and it's just building up. And uh, I can't wait. Uh, and you know, I think you know there are obviously questions that you can ask of Napoli's attack, um, and maybe their midfield, but. It always there's always something about them when they play Juventus that 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 heightens their level of play, and I think that uh, that that's a key. I don't know. Juventus also hasn't looked like the same Juventus as of late, so you know it's going to be a very interesting interesting match to watch. I mean, Juventus is looking for their first win of the season, which even just two two match weeks in is is a surprising thing to say, considering how they've obviously been so successful domestically over the last decade. I mean, obviously, when you lose Ronaldo, when you're in sort of the transition year, like we talked about last week, like Juventus is, right, I think the expectations are a little different. It's not the same team we're used to. Uh, Napoli are, are in an interesting spot, though, because, again, they, they've started out really well this season. They've needed, you know, a few little bounces to go their way, perhaps. Uh, they haven't been as free-flowing as we're used to seeing from them, but... I do think that this is going to be a really fantastic game to watch. I think it's going to be a very, very cerebral game as well when you consider the managers on both sides. And it's in it's in Naples as well, so you know it's always going to be a little extra grit there. I think Juventus walking into the Diego Maradona Stadium now, as it's called, is they're always going to get a little extra, I think, there. Considering, oh, yeah. considering at least recent history between the two, but I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Like you said, I think this is going to be uh, a, a box office type of game, and this is one again. Like I said, one of the very few top games across all the European leagues. I don't think has ever disappointed me that even when it's been you know something like a one nothing, I've always left really satisfied with what I watched, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing this one again. So let's move on to the other box office game of the weekend. This one maybe could provide even more fireworks uh, when you consider how both teams have been scoring, especially Lazio. Uh, you have Milan versus Lazio. We talked about how you know it could be coming to Rome again, uh, except the title this year, or maybe it's going to Milan. Who knows? But 
This is uh, going to be an, this is an early decider. I, I think this is a really good early litmus test for both teams. Obviously, now you know you have uh, Giroud out with injury, which is I think a, of course a big miss for Milan uh, over the next few weeks uh, until he can come back. But Ibra potentially working his way back. It's it's not yet certain if we're going to be seeing him this weekend or for Champions League next week. But this is going to be a, a really really good watch as well. Yeah, it could be a game time decision. He's been practicing. Um, I think recently he's been back with the full team. Uh, before he was doing like individual practice, you know, at full speed. But he's been back with the team. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's going to be a very, you know, good test. Kessie is uh, rejoining the team again. So hopefully we see him this weekend. Um, there has been speculation that uh, the Christmas tree formation may be coming out under Pioli. Uh, where you're going to see a 4-3-2-1 with maybe Liao and Brahim right in behind the striker, uh, whoever that may be. Uh, maybe it's Rebic. Maybe they move Liao up top and put Rebic out wide. Uh, you know, it, it's going to have to be – there's going to be some tinkering done by by Pioli over the next few days to figure out what's going to, going to happen. But uh, it, it's definitely the biggest – it's definitely a, a really good test for this Milan side who, who has shown – you know, a lot of promise, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people have been doubting them, uh, saying that, you know, just bring, trying to run it back again with basically the same team isn't going to work. And, you know, they've been playing very well. Uh, but on the same, on the other side, you know, Lazio, Lazio has been balling, putting up a lot of goals, you know, you, you always see, I said this last week, you know, Luis Alberto's always ball in the first half of the year. Uh, you know, you've got Sergei Milinkovic Savic, uh, Immobile is always a threat and always seen the score against Milan. So that's a, that's going to be a good test for the center backs. You know, can they keep him at bay? Can Tamori and Kier really, you know, dig in and, and, you know, hold, you know, stifle that, uh, that Napoli, uh, a Napoli attack. The X factor for me though is, uh, Felipe Anderson, but the way that Milan's been playing a lot lately, Salamakers kind of inverts and Calabria gets really high up the field and, you know, they're going to be, you know, open for counterattacks down that left-hand side. And I think that, you know, Felipe Anderson may become a big threat where he's going to stretch the center backs apart and, and really open up a lot of space for Immobile to work one-on-one. And, you know, that could be, you know, Milan's, you know, Achilles, uh, Achilles heel. So uh, again, another banger of a game and, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully Milan come out with the win. Yeah, I, I think they, they certainly can. Uh, I, I'm certainly not predicting it, though. I, I think Lazio just looked much more composed so far to start the season. It's hard to draw too many conclusions from just two games. but They always give Milan problems, too. That's just it, one of those teams. If, I, if, if I'm just looking at it uh, objectively as I can, I just feel like uh, Lazio have looked the better side and ha- have looked very, very good this year so far. And you know, they're playing this very interesting 4-3-3 now. Um, they're playing just, sorry ball. They are. You know, again, you know, we, we talked about it last time that Maurizio Sarri, I think, has sort of gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit the last few years, been a little underrated. When you consider how good this Lazio starting 11 has been, Maybe not always the deepest team, but for a manager like Sari, who doesn't care to rotate much, that could play right into his strength. So looking forward to, to those games, all the ones that we mentioned, but especially Italy, I think offering up the better selection 
Uh, speaking of Milan legends, though, as we were, Mario Mandzukic, maybe the biggest Milan legend over the last few years. He did six <laughs> months of uh, duty in Milan, uh, didn't see the field once, gave all his money away to charity, I believe. Good for him. Officially retired. Uh, one of the more interesting players, one of the more highlight real players. I think if you watched a YouTube compilation of all of Mandzukic's best goals, you'd probably think he was one of the best players of all time when you consider how effective he's been. Uh, but he's, you know, he's won a lot in his career, and I think that's that's a, a, a just a, a good ruling on what how he has as a player. Uh, always put himself in the best positions. Incredible work ethic, incredible forward player, very unique play style. There's a reason that he was bouncing around the best clubs in the world it's because he had a very unique skill set that was very very effective for big teams. Um, great physical player, and I, I'm just watching him play. That's for sure. Uh, he he kind of had that, you know that bad boy vibe about him too. You know, he doesn't take shit from anybody, excuse my language. Um, but you know, and he's always, he's always chirping people, always trying to, you know, get digs into people and, and, you know, get a reaction, you know, and that helps, you know, his team, uh, play a little bit better. Uh, I will say he's the best Croatian to play for Milan over the last five years. Uh, and didn't, you forgot that Nikola Kalinic played for Milan, didn't you? You're hating on Revic that hard? Oh, sorry. I forgot he's Croatian too. Wow. Uh, now, Revic owns Revic owns Juventus. So he's he's definitely – he's the second – sorry. Mandzukic is the second best Croatian to play for Milan in the last five years. So, so good for Mario Thank you for keeping me in check right there. Because You're welcome. I almost forgot about that. Good for Mario Mandzukic. Good for him, and, and I, I wish him the best in his retirement. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on some of the transfer deadline news. Obviously, you know we're we're weak after the gate, but I think it's you know maybe people forgot. Maybe uh, some of this one or the shuffle. Just some of the the bigger names. Quite a surprise, Antoine Griezmann going back to Atletico Madrid. Um, this certainly makes the Champions League bet I put on them at plus twenty five hundred odds. Uh, better at least in my mind uh, because if you can add someone like that to your your starting 11 that's a fantastic get i think it's more of an indictment on barcelona and how poorly they've recruited over the last uh, few years and just how what a difficult situation they put themselves in but that's huge for atletico when you consider what a fantastic player he is what a fantastic attacker he is and that he fits that system well you could make the case he should have never even left and and how different you know all of this would have been if he had just stayed um, any thoughts on Griezmann going back to Atletico? It, it gives Simeone a couple different outlets with, with how he can set up, you know, the pairing with him and Suarez, right? He can play both up top as strikers. He could play Griezmann a little bit behind Suarez as like a, a center forward. Uh, he can play Cam. He can play on the wing. You know, it, it, it gives a lot of different opportunities and, and different looks for uh, – Atletico Madrid, and they're looking, they're looking very strong. When you can have a front three of Jao Felix and Luis Suarez and Anton Griezmann, that's a really, really strong front three, and all of them are very interesting as well because they can all operate as uh, you know, sort of the main striker or secondary striker, uh, especially in in Simeone's system. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, a, a departure from Atletico Madrid, Saul going to Chelsea. Uh, he was linked with Liverpool very early on in the window, then Manchester United. Chelsea eventually land him, I believe it's uh, with a, a loan to start, but 
um, they have an option to buy next summer. It's a big signing for Chelsea when you consider, like you mentioned earlier, Ngola Conte was injured. Their midfield is probably the lightest part of their team, but even then, they still had good options there. And I think it just puts another feather in the cap of if you had Chelsea to to win the title this year, this is a, a really good sign for that because this is just strengthening what I thought was already probably the team with the least amount of weaknesses, uh, at, at least at the top of the league. Yeah, you know, again, they've had one heck of a transfer window. You know, if they didn't have this one little, you know, blemish of not being able to sign Kunde. You know, they would have they would have a ten out of ten transfer window. You know, if they were able to bring him into, and 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 you know, they sold Kurt Zuma, right? Yes, Kurt yeah. Zuma. Wait, so, and what's interesting about that is, uh, Lenny Kunde seems dependent on Zuma going to West Ham to free up the space and free yeah. up wages and free up the spot. But apparently, they there's some disagreement about uh, the release clause and what the payment was. Sevilla ended up wanting rightly so a lot more money uh, than what Chelsea were, were willing to give. So ultimately deal could not get done, but I tell you this Chelsea team, they, it's an embarrassment of riches right now uh, when you consider what they have. Um, this one may be more for the future, but I think is still uh, definitely of note when you consider Madrid were chasing Mbappe. This is not a bad second prize. They get Camavinga to come. Um, he was likely, Everybody wanted him. He's likely leaving on a free next year. This is uh, a guy whose name you, you'll probably be hearing over the next few years. At least you certainly could. Um, Madrid, though, have been hit or miss with these young talents as of late. They haven't always burst on the scene exactly the way we want. But, you know, this was his dream move, according to him. This is where he wanted to be. Uh, teenager still. This is This is certainly one you could expect to hear about for years to come. It's going to be interesting how he handles the pressures of playing for a team like Real Madrid, especially with the midfield that they have, you know, having to, you know, earn your spot and prove your worth. And when you finally get that opportunity, you know, you have to live up to it because if you don't, a team like Real Madrid, you'll fall down that pecking order real quick, you know, and you kind of get lost and then you get into that loan, you start getting loaned out a lot and, you know, it's, it's, but, you know, I wish him nothing but the best. I think that, like you said, this is a name that you're going to hear, you know, for years to come. And I think that, you know, once he gets his, you know, feet settled and then, you know, is comfortable around everybody, I, I think he'll start to shine. Yeah, I mean, he could just ask Cisco or Odegaard or <laughs> Danny Tobias about uh, you know, <laughs> not getting starting time in that midfield. I mean, it's just the truth, though. You know, when you consider Modric and – uh, Cruz and Casemiro are still running that midfield as they have for the last six years now. It's it's hard to break through that. Yeah. It truly, truly is. So uh, it's it's going to be a big task, but I think he's, again, more for the future than he is for the present. Not something that is going to weigh on him too much this year. I think it's going to be a lot about, you know, just adjusting to, to being a professional at a club like that. And the last one, it's more for the vibes. It's more for, uh, <laughs> more for the love of the game. Miriam Pjanic going to Besiktas. I, I think this is actually a really interesting move. Pjanic, I, I think, it still has has talent, has uh, has good ability. Obviously, got caught in the weird swap deal between Barcelona and Juventus for uh, essentially tax purposes uh, between him and Arthur. So he's off to Besiktas. That's how much was that transfer? Uh, very, very cheap uh, because Barcelona was just trying to get him off the books, and he took even a salary reduction as well because he said he he didn't feel he was wanted at Barcelona. He felt that Ronald Koeman uh, just wasn't active and speaking with him so 
he's off to, to Turkey, he's off to Istanbul. And that's an interesting signing for Besiktas, so it certainly gives them a, a little bit of hope for their, their Champions League stage, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was linked with Milan for a while, too. And if he went for cheap, come on. <laughs> I mean, when you in? consider the group that they're in for Champions League, you know, it's them, Ajax, Dortmund, and Sporting Lisbon. I mean, those... No, for for Besiktas though, this is an amazing, an amazing yeah. signing that will help bolster their midfield and 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 you know, uh, like you said, they could, they could make a little run in their group and and potentially be a dark horse in the knockout stage. So, yeah, so so good for Miralem, uh making it back. Uh, well, I shouldn't say back, but making it to a place where at least he's going to feel wanted. Uh, that's that's what I, I I always thought Pjanic was just a fantastic player, one of my favorite players mm-hmm. to watch in in Italy. Um, even in his Roma days, I thought he was he was absolutely fantastic. I remember he was linked with Liverpool a few summers. That was my dream signing for quite some time. Obviously, never panned out, but that's all we have. That's all we have for today. A little bit of preview. Uh, we'll be back next week talking about this weekend's actions. We'll be talking about some Champions League because that is back next week, which I'm excited about. You have the top ends derby between Milan and Liverpool. That's going to be a lot of fun next Wednesday. Dom's rubbing his hands. I have a feeling he's not going to be doing that next week because <laughs> uh, he's going to be coming fresh off of back to reality from Lazio and looking down the barrel of, uh, of a Mane Jota Sala front three against his. <laughs> uh, but I am looking forward to I'm looking forward to this weekend's action. Dom, do you have any, any parting words for everybody? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Wash Lifestyle. You can find me on Twitch at Harry Yate. Um, I'm going live right after this. Uh, I'm trying to craft that uh, that 99 rated Manchester United CR7. Great. Even <laughs> 22's on its way, baby. That's yeah. absolutely stellar, Dom. I wish you the best of luck in playing a game that's going to be outdated in exactly a week. Uh, <laughs> uh, two weeks. <laughs> two weeks, yeah. Cling to those two weeks, my friend. You deserve it. Uh, that's all we got for this week. We will see you next week. Until then. Have a great day. I gotta ruin my dream, man. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to do it to you. Yeah, they they literally released that that card like last week.